Good day, and welcome to the Pandemic Show. Stories of the Pandemic for people living in the Pandemic. No one is alone on the Pandemic Show. Today's Pandemic story comes from Rebecca, who talks to Dave about what it has been like living in rural Northern California as a Bay Area transplant. We learn what it's like on the front lines as an essential worker. Balancing work and keeping one's family safe is precarious business in a pandemic also plagued by wildfires. Hello, everyone. It's Thursday, October 8th, 2020, and welcome to the Pandemic Show, a show about the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. Today, we're talking to Rebecca Lippert Yalot from Gold County, California. She's been riding out the pandemic in the beautiful Sunshine State, but Recently, the pandemic took an even wilder twist with forest fire season. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us on the pandemic show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Could, could you go back? Could we transcend time and space and go back to March 2020? Sure. And when the pandemic really see, seemed to get rolling over here in North America. I know it did in Ontario where I've, where I've been um, sheltering in place. Yeah, my birthday's in March, in the beginning of March. And so I remember in the before times going out for sushi for my birthday inside of an actual restaurant and with no fear and no masks and no danger. And then by the end of the month, we watch a lot of world news. So we definitely saw it coming. And I live in a rural area with limited medical capacity and I have a lot of older friends. I was very concerned and I work at a grocery store. Towards the end of March, a good friend of mine gave me a mask to start wearing and I was trying to encourage my coworkers to wear masks. Of course, no one was. Um, and then I guess it was maybe in April, end of April, they started trying to push the masks more, at least the California government. Now, our national government really did nothing. The area I live in, people did not take to the masks. I tried to explain to people, hey, they're not going away, get used to it. But I was not very well received. I, I identify with what you're saying because I think we're a little bit further along here in Southern Ontario just because we're getting deep into the second wave. But at the beginning of the pandemic, nobody was wearing masks, I mean, March. And then slowly it picked up. And then, then there became the big debate, the anti-mask, the pro-mask people. But, you know, it seems like in Ontario, I'd say there's 80%, 90% people wearing masks now in, in Southern Ontario where I am. Yeah. Are you in a urban or a rural area? I'm in a rural area, but I'm, I'm an hour from Toronto. You know, 5 okay. million people, however many million people. And that's our hot yeah. spot. Yeah. And in California, it seems in the urban areas, we've got a, at least an 80 to 90 percent mass compliance with folks. But out in this rural area that I'm in, I would say you're lucky if half of the people in the grocery store are wearing them. There's probably more and more people. So now you're up to half. Five out of 10, you're getting there. Maybe in another month or two, you'll well, get that we'll 80, see. 90. And also a big difference will be after this election, you know. Yep. October 8th today, I believe there's a, an important election in the States on November 2nd. 
Yeah, November 3rd, I believe. November 3rd, excuse me. It's always election day. That's okay. Close enough. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Celebrated (laughs) your birthday in before times with sushi, unmasked, no physical distancing, washing your hands a regular amount. And then in April, the state started working with public health to encourage taking COVID seriously. And then when did COVID and the forest fires kind of all blow up at the same time? Well, in my area, it was a little later than some other areas. Um, I, I was um, hearing from friends who are more in like the Mendocino area and Humboldt area and Lake County. That's all more Northern California than from where I am. A lot of those people were dealing with really devastating forest fires. Um, well, the, the biggest one is called the August Complex Fire. And so clearly that one started in August. And in August, we had some strange weather with a spell of lots of dry lightning. And that is what started uh, many of these very, very big fires. Now. Um, the Fork Fire, which was the closest fire to me, which is very small by comparison of those others, um, that one started in maybe late August, early September, and um, that was started most likely from a campfire because of the area that it started in is very recreational. Um, and that one got, there was evacuations very near me but um, it, they did seem to get it under control pretty quickly. Um, so I'm grateful for that. But it did add an, another level of panic and just, you know, uncertainty. This whole year has been everything about uncertainty, you know. So the forest fires just added another layer of that. Did, with the forest fires, you see another level of shortages at stores? I know when the pandemic got going here in March in Southern Ontario, toilet paper disappeared. After that, there were shortages in flour. Then there were shortages in hair care products. Um, Did you notice any shortages when COVID originated? And then did you notice any more shortages in the supply chain with the forest fires and COVID? Yeah, I definitely shortages on top of, you know, we had all the same shortages of toilet paper, hand sanitizers, all the cleaning products, um, alcohol, stuff like that. Um, and since I work in a grocery store, you know, I, I really saw all of the shortages in action. And um, it came down to a distribution um, issue, I believe. But also, um you know, in this time, there have been aluminum can shortages. There have been uh, coin uh, change shortages. Um, And, you know, like, or the most recent one, a restaurant, a local restaurant um, that uses spam in one of its dishes um, said that there's a spam shortage right now. So it's interesting, you know, it's kind of been all over the place with these shortages. Uh, as far as the, for- the forest fires um, 
didn't really contribute to any, you know, they end up contributing to things like uh, generators sell out. Um, and the reasoning for that is because uh, PG&E, which is our electric services up here, they have begun doing these um, premeditated power shutoffs to avoid starting fires, which is great, but if a person doesn't have uh, an external generator for their house, then they're just out of power for that amount of time. So everybody rushes to, um, when they announce one of these power shutoffs to go get generators. Um, we live off grid, so it's never been an issue for us. But um, a lot of times when they do these power shutoffs, people can't access their water because their well pumps don't work without power. Like I said, we live off grid, so that's not an issue for us, but it is a very big issue for a lot of people, especially if you consider, you know, you could have a fire headed in your direction and no access to water, even though you have a well on your property. Yeah. Wow. You can imagine how frustrating that is. Yeah. So a lot of people have been, you know, I would say when the fires come up, they, they go for those more off grid kind of prepper supplies how did the fire near you get put under control was it the rain did the fire team get it under control the fire was in an area that was very close to an old burn scar from a previous fire from a few years back that was very big so that was helpful in some ways because that burn scar is really full of short brush. So that keeps the fire from spreading up in the tops of the trees. So it's easier to control in that regard. But really our terrain is so rugged that it seems what they end up doing is bulldozing fire lines because they can't count on rain this time of year. It's just not coming. So they bulldoze fire lines uh, wherever they can when it goes down into a steep gully and there's no homes to protect they just let it burn through until it burns up the other side of the gully where they can have a dozer line and stop it on that side so after they get containment where they've got the fire kind of surrounded sometimes they'll light backfires so when the fire when the forest fire creeps up and reaches this other fire it's out of oxygen and they burn each other out sometimes they will now there was so much smoke at the beginning of that fire that they weren't able to use the air tankers but that's another thing in their arsenal and also with so many big fires our small fire didn't have the same resources available because they were on a lot of these big fires but eventually when the smoke cleared they have helicopters with little dip buckets they'll go into small ponds and lakes and the, which are plentiful up here. And then they, they drop water, they drop that orange or reddish orange uh, fire retardant from the big air tankers. So that's kind of all the method that they contain it with. And then in the case of the fork fire, they just had to let the heart of it smolder out. Did the smoke get the non-mask people wearing masks? Oh, no, no. No. Okay. I, what, if, if so, it was a very, very few. 
How do um, people respond to the smoke when you mentioned it was quite thick at the beginning of the fire? And I know we had news reports that the West Coast fires were affecting the, the climate and the atmosphere in, in beautiful British Columbia. Yeah, um, uh, it was all over the news that people should stay indoors. Um, and, you know, but they did also say that your masks that you're wearing to protect from COVID are not going to be sufficient to protect you from the smoke, from the uh, smoke particles. Okay. So that was a little frustrating. I kind of just wanted them to just tell people to wear masks. Don't, you know, <laughs> don't bog them down with all the details. Something is better than nothing is how I figure. And with COVID, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe an N95 mask is ideal, but that's another thing that became hard to find and became shortages of these N95 masks. I have lots of friends who are costume designers and uh, fashion designers. And so I've been enjoying buying all the different high design masks. And to me, they are just as good, if not better, because they have filter pockets. I can put a coffee filter. I put some relaxing herbs in there. And I'm really starting to love wearing masks, actually. <laughs> but I know I'm in the minority. Um, but, but and, and I did notice that, you know, it, it did help because we don't have a lot of inside area and we didn't really have the option to hide from the smoke. And I did, I did pay the price for that in my lungs. I definitely had some lung issues around that time and for weeks after that I've since cleared up, but it was definitely from the smoke. I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad to hear that it's cleared up. Yeah. What were the implications or what are the implications of the wildfires on the wildlife and also the effect of COVID on the animals and wildlife? Any observations well there? Well, yeah, I, when COVID first started, I'm the, the president of our local garden club, the Divide Garden Club, and in our little newsletter, I always write a little uh, piece, and one of the first pieces I wrote was an optimistic piece about how nice it is that we heard in national parks there was a resurgence of wildlife. That kind of made me feel good that nature could take this time kind of off from being human recreation and just be itself and replenish itself. And, and I heard many stories like that from around the globe of, you know, people having to stay inside and that gave nature a place to flourish. It doesn't seem like that lasted very long up <laughs> here because, well, so nobody could do indoor activities. So as summer approached, and people got a little more relaxed about their COVID protocols. We had, I live in a very outdoor recreation area. I live very near the Rubicon Trail, which is a huge four-wheel drive trail that gets Jeeps and, and trucks and all kinds of people recreate up there. And it seemed to me there was just as many as ever. I prefer nature, so I would have just liked to close down everything and just let nature have a, the year off. Then as far as nature and the wildfires, well, that is often, there's lots of tragic stories, but there's also lots of heartwarming stories. I've seen pictures where people leave buckets of water out 
so that as wildlife, you know, if they have to evacuate, they leave as many buckets of water out so that wildlife passing through their property has a place to stop and get a drink. And people with game cameras were able to see wildlife stopping at their little watering holes. And I know there's lots of people who do wildlife rescue. I saw on the news last night, they're treating animals with, a lot of animals have burns on their paws. And yeah. so left, left to nature, they would die because they, it's too painful to walk on their paws to get to food and water. So they take these animals in and they've been treating their burnt paw pads with tilapia skin. Which, really? Yeah, it accelerates the healing process and helps them regrow skin faster. And I thought that was really fascinating. Like Mr. Rogers said, you look for the helpers and they're always there no matter how tragic a situation gets. Ain't Humanity rises to the cause, you know. That's so with positive. The with the exception of a few choice assholes, right? <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Have you seen other people helping people or have you, do you think there's going to be any positive social change coming out of this in, in your neighborhood? Well, not in my, I don't know. My neighborhood is very difficult for me to talk about because, you know, I am a liberal, a staunch liberal who came from the Bay Area, which is very liberal. And I moved to a very conservative rural area and like I already spoke to about half the people in my area don't believe in wearing masks. They, I don't mean, not even sure they believe the pandemic is real. Clearly none of them watch world news, but it's frustrating. And another frustrating thing about my community is, and this kind of branches out away from the pandemic, but you know, there've been all the Black Lives Matter protests going on here. Well, um, about a month ago, someone started a rumor in my town, which my town is a very small, very white, very conservative town. So it's preposterous that this would happen, but someone started a rumor that Black Lives Matter and Antifa were coming to protest in our little town. And all of these locals had this picture of George Soros buses, you know, busing all these black people up here to riot and loot in our little town. Um, and so the, the community's response to this was to throw their own rally of sorts. And I mean, it was really, truly ridiculous. It was a bunch of pickup trucks with American flags flying out the back, a lot of Trump signs, a lot of people with their guns out. There were about five uh, county sheriffs, and all these people thought that the sheriffs were there to prevent the protest, when in reality, the sheriffs were there to keep an eye on these people to make sure they're not wingnuts going to hurt somebody or themselves. And that was my greatest fear, that somebody was just going to be too paranoid and amped up and someone, some innocent bystander was going to get hurt. Luckily, and that didn't happen. They got, to, they got to puff themselves up and the day went by and no protest, big surprise. So it was just um, false. But it just was, to it give, was... give you an idea. Yeah, if that gives you an idea of, you know, about a good half of the community where I live is of that mentality. 
and they they believe i don't think they realize what the opposite of an antifa is yeah i'm i'm anti-fascist i know my grandfather i am as well i am Canadian Air Force. <laughs> yeah canada fought the fought the fascists in world war ii i know the americans did as well I, it's upsetting to hear that that kind of gossip and fake news circulates stirs up the paranoia and the anger but it's it's, it's a different system up here in canada I, we're far from perfect there's structural and institutional racism that the first nations face as well as people of color canada is not perfect but we don't have some of the structural challenges march 13th brianna taylor was shot by the no-knock warrant very tragic situation the Very. verdict recently came in where castle doc dogma or doctrine says that you can protect your house house with deadly force which applies to the area that she's from and then there's a no-knock warrant so there's a no-knock warrant people busted in with guns somebody there shot a gun in what they believed was self-defense and then random bullets killed people brianna taylor and the verdict was that since bullets went in other apartments, there was some ab abuse of power. It's mind boggling that there could be such yeah. a juxtaposition where two laws conflict to such a degree. It's, it's complex, but not confusing. It, the, it's just something needs to change well, there. And, oh, you know, it's like you could look at any one of these stories of black people or all types of people of color being killed by police you could you can pick apart any one story and try to find fault with the victim which is often what happens but in reality they add up and you can't realistically say there's not a problem when you have story after story after story there was a young man in colorado who was killed by the police and his name escapes me at the moment but beautiful young man. He used to play his violin for cats awaiting adoption at the local little cat cafe. And there was just so many charming things. I believe he was on the autism spectrum. And I don't know the details of why he was killed by the police. He wasn't shot, but it was a similar thing to George Floyd where he was restrained and that resulted in his death. So, so many stories, it's like they all have different details, but the underlying truth of it is there is a problem with systemic racism in our police departments. And it's rooted back into when police departments were first founded, they were slave chasers. You know, those are the roots in my country of the police departments. Now, I'm not saying that that's currently what's happening obviously it's not but when you have roots of an organization you know there's the police it's been proven have roots in with with white supremacist groups you know there's there's over the overlapping things there you know you can't deny these basic truths and pretend like we don't have a problem with systemic racism in our police departments, in our um, prison systems, and really just woven throughout all of our government and schools even. I, I wonder if one of the positives that's going to come out of the pandemic and, 
and the people and people all over the world taking to the streets for racial equality and it really comes down to income inequality in so many ways doesn't it yes it does that's one of the good things that's going to come out of this pandemic that the conflict that's been generated around these subjects is going to lead to some healing it's going to lead to a lot of change i know i've been listening to the news out of the states and one of the things that stuck with me and given me hope in all of this trauma is some of the older activists from the black community saying what's different about now is they're not just marching on their own they're not just marching with a small number of allies but they see the whole multicultural fabric out there standing with them so that's that's a positive that i'm taking away from oh yes traumatic situation and the the shining light is that the future belongs to the youth and the you you see the youth they're not hateful they're not racist i'm generalizing here but in mass these younger generations are are accepting people of all genders on the spectrum they're accepting people of all races and religions they're not they're not judgmental and i think um they they have just kind of hopefully learned from our mistakes and uh, i believe we are evolving to be more peaceful and more tolerant and understanding and but also less tolerant of the old ways of patriarchal bullshit and racism and classism i think any intelligent person has seen that these upper elite classes do not have anyone's best interest at heart except their own and you know these younger generations realize that regardless of race religion sexual orientation whatever it is we all have way more in common with each other than we do with the billionaire class and it's about time that they take a back seat and start paying their fair share I think that's a really astute observation that the kids are all right because I mm. do listen to the radio and I'm not really sure what's going on. I saw something interesting that has really stuck with me. It said uh, something to the effect that if you're over 40, you need to have a mentor who's under 30 to keep you like relevant and to keep you um abreast of all the new changes of life and so oftentimes we think of mentorships as being younger people looking up towards older people but that really did kind of resonate with me because there's so much to learn from younger generations and i i think it's time to give them give them the reins let them take the lead all these old people are running everything into the ground so it's time to make a fresh start with some new blood (laughs) so i guess a suggestion then for people dealing with the pandemic especially over 40 find a youth interpreter someone under 30 and get dialed in with the positive social change that's happening in the younger generations even if we don't understand their music they can help us understand their music yeah and we can share our music with them and you know everybody likes music <laughs> i just want to thank you rebecca for joining us today on the pandemic show and for being an essential worker a frontline worker not all heroes wear capes and it's just a real treat to be talking to a hero of the pandemic today on the pandemic show 
Thank you, Dave. And you are a hero for doing your show and keeping the dialogue open about all this. Pandemic. Thanks for listening to this week's story from the pandemic. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.ca. Be a part of our community by rating, subscribing, and sharing the pandemic show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic.